Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by Gymdesk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Chandler Walker a former med school student turned gym owner and growth expert. In this episode, he reveals why gyms should always be using high-ticket front-end offers. If you think you can't do that, don't worry. He also smashes limiting beliefs and tells you exactly how you can sell high-ticket products and services as well. Without further ado, Chandler Walker. Welcome to the Gym Heroes podcast. Um, I've got here today Chandler Walker, is that correct? That's correct. It's Chandler like from Friends and Walker like the Texas Ranger. Not too, not too hard. So uh, Chandler, please introduce yourself and give your background in business. Yeah, good question. So my name's Chandler and I started business back in when I was like 26 years old when I first opened up a gym. I actually went to college for biochemistry and, and I was really going on a, a med school path because my mother growing up was, was bi- had bipolar disorder and I wanted to move into a career and a life to where I could help people. But the problem I found was in the industry of, of medicine, it was really about giving pills and, and people wanted pills. Doctors mm-hmm. have to give pills. There's, it's not a shot at doctors. It's just how the system is organized. So I broke off. We built up and, and organized our first gym. I was 26, had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Med school guy, business, doesn't really mesh very well other than you understand the scientific method. And that's kind of how it all got started. Excellent. So I think one of the things that you've, you've done is you've figured out how to make high ticket sales. Um, and so I, I wanted to, to ask you within the, the fitness business context, why should a, a fitness prof- professional consider selling high ticket products and services? Yeah, good question. So one of the reasons that I think both online and in a gym environment, because I've built businesses in both, is if you have a lower ticket product or service and you're competing with everybody to be like the cheapest in town, you're going to lose unless you have VC backing, or you have investors backing you to where you can go negative for years and not have to worry about it. And that's what you're competing against when you have like the Orange Theories, when you have all these other businesses that do have this backing and, and this financial stability to sustain themselves. As a gym owner, though, with, without that kind of backing, what you really need is, is a sustainable system to where you can achieve profitability. And so in a gym, you're lucky if you're running a good gym to be achieving like 26% profitability. In order to achieve that or make that easier, it's a lot easier to have one client pay a gym membership that's $500 a month versus trying to get a bunch of clients who are only paying $100 a month. And so it becomes a much easier process. But the process to make that work is a process where you have to remove the thinking of your own wallet, like would I pay that, and push yourself into your prospects and have empathy for them to be able to build a system to where it's something that they truly want and need. And so high-ticket services and selling is really about building a product and service that makes people say, wow, that's me. That solves my internal demons. That makes me look in the mirror and finally be happy with who I see on the other side. Excellent. So what would, what would you consider a high ticket 
uh, product or service. Because I know that coming from, I come from the martial arts end of the whole fitness industry. And um, it's always a fight to get these, most of these guys to actually charge enough to, to sustain a profitable business, much less, you know, survive something like a COVID-19 or something like that. So what, what would you consider a high ticket product or service? Yeah, good question. And I have the, I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu since about 2009. So I, I get it from the martial arts realm. Awesome. But I, I think for, uh, for a gym specifically, high ticket is something that's a package that's $1,500 or more. For example, in our gym, one of our first packages people could buy was $1,500. Eventually that package became $2,500. And so I think a good sweet spot to where you can really sell higher end services as a gym is that $1,500 to $3,000 product or price range. Mm -hmm. If you're an online fitness professional and you're doing stuff online, I think you can push it up a little more. And so I think the perfect number that I found is somewhere around $2,500 to about $3,200. What should you include in a product or or service that is high ticket so that, so that you, at least so that you, first of all, you feel psychologically, you feel justified in charging for that. I know that personal training is a big deal. I know that nutrition is a big deal. Do you combine those things? Are there other elements that you add? Yeah, good question. So I think what you have to think about is two things. You have to think about scalability. So if I stack myself with personal training, I'm going to, my dollar per hour might be high, but I'm going to have zero time. And that's really challenging to scale with like coaches and staff. So then you have to say, okay, if I'm going to charge $2,000 for an upfront package, maybe what it has is it has an upfront fundamentals program that has like five, three to five one-on-one personal training sessions. Then that moves them into sort of a group training environment. But maybe that group training environment, now we have to think beyond fitness. So why are people there? They're not there to sweat in your facility. They're not there to work out. And unfortunately, they're not there to see your smiling face in the beginning. They're there to lose weight. But more importantly, they're there to finally feel confident in their own skin and not hate who they are. So how do you fix that? Well, you have to bring in some mindset support. So how do you support their ability to feel better? Well, you support their mindset, their, the mental health side of things. What else do they need? Nutrition. Do gyms usually do anything with nutrition? Kind of, maybe. So maybe mm. you can adopt personalized nutrition plans. What else do people need? Well, they need their social environment to be better. Okay, well, now you create a social environment to where people, this becomes their third home. And so you have to break down what do people need? And then you package in all these needs into a high ticket solution to where you're not only charging quite a bit of money for it, but people are receiving exactly what they want and you're, you're changing their lives. So when we look at our packages, it was personal training sessions up front. We called it fundamentals in the gym. It was three, three to five sessions. Then they would move into a group training environment. They would get 100% custom meal plans that I actually have a team of VAs that I taught, train to create and build. They would mm-hmm. get the mindset support. I built a, a 12 week, a 12 to 16 week curriculum surround based on cognitive behavior therapy to where we could deliver mindset and social health training. And ultimately, wow. every what we did was we integrated the gym into a cohesive educational environment to where they got the whole package. And that eventually moved all online to where we were able to deliver the entire experience via an app and coaches as well. Awesome. So you do, you do, I mean, if you're going to get into fitness business, whether that is, is a gym trainer, personal trainer, or an instructor of some sort, you do need to obviously have your skills um, down pat. But it sounds like that it, it is really useful if you want to put together something that you can 
you can charge for a high ticket that you have more than just being really good at programming for strength or programming for weight loss, but you need to know nutrition. You need to know, um, even, you know, have, have meal plans and, and, um, you, you mentioned cognitive be- behavior therapy. I mean, that's, that's awesome. It's just wild and probably really effective. So, um, do you have any tips on how to acquire those or maybe not even master all those skills yourself? Because that's going to be, that's going to be, um, maybe impossible to master all of them, but to network with people so you can pull these things in together. Yeah, good question. What I like to do and, and what I did a lot in the gym was I networked in my local community. There's psychologists and psychiatrists who will sit down with you and, and do a mastermind about how to make client experience better. Mm. There's other fitness professionals who will sit with you. There's masterminds you can purchase and pay to join. So I think what you have to do is Number one, self-education is huge. Like you spend hours and hours. I see gym owners who will spend three hours a day on their own fitness, but they won't read a book. So (laughs) sit down, read a book. Once a day, you can read a chapter, read for 15 minutes. Your three-hour workout can be cut down to two hours and 45 minutes, I promise you, and and you won't lose your gains. So you can move into that, read, read some books, pick up some books, figure out, okay, what is cognitive behavior therapy? What does it do? Well, it solves triggers and problems in people's minds and helps them move past and recognize the issue. So, okay, well, maybe I should just Google that cognitive behavior therapy books and then something like the Feeling Good Handbook pops up, which is like the Bible for cognitive behavior therapy. So then you read that, you learn that, you understand that. And then you start to, you're not providing therapy, but you're able to start to learn how to deal with and how to coach the mindset of a particular individual. Because I think as fitness professionals, people want to be taken seriously. They want to be taken uh, at the same seriously as the same level as like a doctor, lawyer, and all these other professionals. If you want to be taken seriously in that environment, it can't just be about slanging weights and teaching people how to lift. It needs to be about understanding the human being holistically and being able to fix problems when, when they present themselves. So you sort of have to be able to say, okay, they want to lose weight, but there's some significant mindset issues going on here. Or they want to lose weight, but they're decrepit and can't move. Okay, what do I do now? It's an if this, then that scenario. So you have to be at a high enough level to where you can understand and recognize how to spot, fix, create, and adjust that. Absolutely. I found that um, you don't necessarily need to be in the weeds of all the new studies coming out in a particular field or read all the books. If you find three of the top books in that discipline and you reorganize the product, the service, the program along the lines of the most important principles of that, that's really going to drive most of the benefit. You can get, you can eke more out of it by, by becoming more and more, um, knowledgeable in a deep sense in those disciplines. But your, your 80 20, as it were, is really going to be in those broad principles because that's what's going to create the biggest sense of, of, um, of success and change. Yeah, exactly. It's like you don't need to get the PhD in it. You just need to understand it well enough to recognize problems when they present themselves with clients, which are usually common problems, and then to be able to be able to say, okay, what do I do in this situation? And then ultimately recognize that there's no right or wrong answer. Nobody really knows what to do, but you can make inferences based on the human condition to fix whatever's happening or solve it. And if that doesn't solve it, make another inference, solve it the next time. But ultimately it's a, it's a scientific process. Test, hypothesize, break, test, hypothesize, it works. Okay. Now try to break it. Okay. Test, hypothesize, fix. Excellent. So switching gears now, how do fitness professionals misunderstand sales? I mean, they, I think a lot of them try to avoid it at all costs, but 
how do they um, how do they misconceive of it? Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions for sales is you have to be this like sleazy salesman. You have to attack people for the sale. You have to yeah. go for the close. Like common objection handling techniques are like stick them with the knife and twist it. If they cry, they buy. But you, you don't have to be that way. If you want to mm-hmm. sell, you have to be able to be what I call a, a cognitive listener. So you have to be able to achieve level five listening. And level five listening really in sales is, think about it this way, level one, straight up ignoring someone. Like you're talking and I'm back here like painting the wall, not responding to you or paying attention to you at all. Level two is pretend listening. So you're talking, but I pick up my phone and I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, yeah, okay. And I'm I'm not really listening to you. I'm just responding. Level Mm -hmm. three is where I'm sort of like, I'm sort of active, but I'm only responding in a way to where I can't wait till I get a response. So I'm not listening to you. I'm only responding so I can talk. Mm-hmm. Level four is where I'm listening, I'm active, I'm going back and forth, but I'm still in my frame of reference, like my model of the world. And then once we step into level five, that's when you can, be, can become masterful at sales. Level five is where I've stepped out of my own model of the world. I've stepped out of my own right or wrong. I've stepped out of my own bias and I'm stepping into your head. I'm trying to understand your situation. I'm asking you specific questions to get strategic answers to develop your history. What are the triggers that manifested along the way? How did they happen? When did they present themselves? And why do they keep coming up again and again and again? I'm a detective to create this timeline. So that way, for example, say you say, okay, I've tried 75 different diets and I can't lose weight. Well, it's probably not the diets that are the problem. Maybe I uncover in your past that you were forced to eat your whole plate every night as a kid. And now in the future, you have a problem with overeating. So it's not diets that are the problem. It's the fact that you've created a trigger that's followed you your whole life. And that's sort of the aspect of introducing cognitive behavior therapy into sales. It's recognizing triggers and recognizing where the real problem exists. If you can show someone that, if you can help them recognize that, number one, it's going to blow their mind. And number two, they're going to want to work with you because likely you're the only person who has ever introduced that concept to them. Mm. So how, when, when, when fitness professionals, well, actually, let's just talk about salespeople. How are they usually trained to sell? You mentioned the different levels of attention, which is really important. And you mentioned, you know, not necessarily have to try and drive the pain point and, and make them so uh, panicky about that pain point that they decide to buy. How are they usually trained to sell and, and um, how does your own sales approach contrast with that? Yeah, th- that's a good question. So the typical salesperson is trained to basically be in level three. So that's, you're talking and I'm basically listening enough to where I can respond and give you a rebuttal. So you say, oh, it's too expensive. Well, I mean, are you sure it's too expensive? Because what I've found is that's feel felt found. That's an objection handling technique. I literally mm-hmm. don't care about what you said or you. I'm just responding to, to give you my rebuttal. What we do in, 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 and that makes it radically different is if you say, okay, I can't, that's too expensive. It's not, okay, well, it's, can you tell me a little bit more about that? What makes that too expensive? We also work to uncover finances early in the call. And so our goal isn't necessarily to tell you why you should purchase it. It's to ask you questions to uncover why you are not able to purchase it. Because chances are, it's because you don't feel comfortable with what I'm doing. And if I can uncover that and I can remove that fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and you you begin to feel comfortable with me, well, now you're going to buy anything from me because you trust me. Excellent. 
So how do you handle objections? I know there's different approaches to it. There's even people that say you shouldn't handle objections. Uh, so how do you approach that? Yeah, good question. So what we do in our process is we take objections and we establish the level five listening concept and we become what I call a challenging leader. And what that means is you don't wait till the end of the call. You don't wait till the end of the conversation, the end of the com- the meeting to go through objections. You move all of that to the beginning. You make everything open and clear with the client. You help them understand where you're at. So they begin to feel comfortable with you. You uncover all of their finances early. Hey, what do you make? What does your credit situation look like? What does it look like after taxes? So that way, and you put it in the client's best interest as well. So it's like, hey, just so I know what I could actually put together as a package for you, are you open to discussing your finances with me? So that way I don't throw something out that's just completely off the wall and you can't really get into it. So we move that to discovery. We move anything about spouse to discovery. All objections go to the beginning of the call. And if someone listening doesn't know what discovery is, that's the first phase of the call, the first 15 Mm. minutes. We have already gotten through every objection. And this is the why we're challenging leaders because we're challenging them early on. We're challenging their coachability. We're challenging whether or not they really need what we're doing. So that way at the end, it doesn't present as a problem. Excellent. Um, so people, sometimes they put too much pressure on themselves to close a sale quickly, or um, they feel like they have to close a given prospect at a given time. And this can, I, th- I feel like this manifests itself in like desperation or aggressive tactics. So uh, how, how would you coach a, a salesperson not to fall into this trap and actually have an energy that helps them close the sales? Yeah, good question. So we have a concept we call detaching from the need to sell. And what that basically means is don't be a needy human being. <laughs> and think about dating. So say you meet someone new and you're like, wow, this person is really cool. And you just pick up your phone and you won't stop texting them. What are they going to do? Pull away. away as fast as they can, right? Pull this away. is what a needy salesperson looks like. If I show up on the call and I'm like, what can I get you to do to buy today? Are you ready to purchase? Credit card, Visa, MasterCard. They're going to run away. It's the game of push and pull. It's the game of chase. The human condition says that if I chase you, you're going to run away. You're, if I want it more than you, you're not going to want it as much as I am and you're going to let me chase you. So I come into the call and I stay neutral. Like, hey, if I can possibly help you, would, would you be open to talking about it? Hey, if this even makes sense, uh, are you sure you're even open to this? Are you sure this even makes sense for you? So I want to pull myself into a place to where it seems like I'm not that interested in the sale. So it puts them in a place to where they say, wait a second, why does this idiot not want to sell me? And then they want it more because I've completely detached. Excellent. So how do you employ the use of questions throughout your sales process? Are there, are there any tips you have on how to formulate them and when to use them? Yeah, keep it simple. So if someone says, if you say, hey, what, what brings you in today? Well, I want to lose weight. Okay, gotcha. Great. A lot of people want to lose weight. So I stroke their ego. Okay, great. A lot of people want to lose weight. I validate their concern. A lot of people want it. And then I reverse with the question. So what makes weight loss important to you? Oh, well, I have a, a wedding coming up. Ah, gotcha. Everybody wants to look banging at their wedding. I want to look good in a wedding dress. But tell me a little bit about why you why it makes why it's even worth it for you to go through all this work to to look good in a in a wedding dress. It's called there's a technique called the downward arrow technique that we use mm-hmm. quite a bit, and that comes from cognitive behavior therapy as well. But it's asking question after question after question. You're you're diving deep seven times, seven layers deep sometimes to figure out what the real reason is. 
this person doesn't want to look good in a wedding dress. This person wants to look good in front of everybody else so they don't feel disgusting. That's what it comes down to. And that's what I need them to tell me. If I tell them, they'll doubt it. If they tell me, they'll believe it. Excellent. Cool. So this one's a just a just for fun question I thought of. Um, you mentioned that you've, you've done jujitsu for a long time, since 2009, you said? Yeah, off and on. Yeah. I'm I've brown belted. I, I've done it. I've done it off and on too, since like 2015 and I'm still a blue belt. It's just, uh, I'm just a, I'm just a, an, a very committed hobbyist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was wondering like, what, how would you, um, how would you put together a high ticket service or, or program track for a jujitsu gym to sell? Yeah. Good question. So the things I see in jujitsu often are, the competitors, for whatever reason, get a lot of attention, but mm-hmm. they end up being the ones who don't pay a lot of money. They end up being super entitled and they leave the gym after a few years. So I think number one, like your competitors, cool. They can be there, but don't give them so much unless they're willing to pay for it. So move mm-hmm. into who are the general population that comes in. They're people who are going in because they enjoy the self-defense aspect. They enjoy the fitness. They enjoy the camaraderie and they, they just enjoy being there. That's going to be what makes up the bulk of your clientele. So how do you make it easier for the normal human being to join? Well, you hone in on it and you say, okay, well, people don't join because it seems a little scary because we're rolling around on the mats, like wrestling with each other. So Mm -hmm. what do I do? Introduce a fundamentals program. So now you have the fundamentals of jujitsu. Someone goes through five one-on-one training sessions. Then after the one-on-ones, they go through a curriculum that's like three months long, that's beginner's jujitsu, that is a listed out specific curriculum. What else do people want when they join? Well, they probably want to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, you give them a custom meal, meal plan and nutrition program for their, their fundamentals experience. Now, what have you done? Now you've created a jujitsu fundamentals platform and program. So in addition to that, what do you do? Well, mindset, okay. They're probably not very confident in themselves. They're probably there because they want to build that confidence and finally feel good if something ever happens or just feel good about themselves. Okay, well, now we can introduce a mindset curriculum. Like, look at the Gracies. They've introduced a great mindset curriculum in their their uh, their online program and their schools and everything. They have, like, juicing and stuff like that, but they have hmm. good packages. So you can take that, put that into a three-month beginner's package and price it at, like, $1,500, and people will pay it because they want that. They want to feel comfortable. They want to feel safe, and they want to feel like what they're doing and getting into is something that they can keep doing but that isn't going to be super scary and, and get them hurt. Awesome. Excellent. I think that's, uh, I think a lot of um, school, martial arts school owners don't, they don't, they just don't think about their programs, their introductions like that. So that's really useful for them to recast how they see their, especially their on-ramping or their onboarding experience as a way to actually sell a high ticket um, program that will, um, that will help them stabilize the financial life of their school. That's excellent. Well, uh, thank you. so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah. If you want to connect with me personally, you can jump on Instagram. So Instagram.com forward slash Chandler SAF. If you want to catch me on YouTube, I put a bunch of videos up there pretty much every week. You can go to YouTube.com forward slash Chandler Walker SAF. Mm-hmm. And if you want to connect with me professionally for us to help you with your sales or for us to help run your ads for your facility, you can just go to EliteAds.co and, and watch the video and you can book a call with me. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on and I hope we can do this again sometime. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully we gave everyone some value and they're excited and ready to build some high ticket programs in their gym. Just remember, don't think with your own wallet. Think about the need, solve problems, solve issues, change someone's life forever and they'll pay happily a high ticket price. Absolutely.